Hello, curiosity seekers and adventurous thinkers. Welcome to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio, the podcast for the relentlessly curious. This season, our host and Applied Curiosity Lab's chief curiosity seeker, Becky Saltzman, will be sharing the studio with ACL's chief experience producer and favorite sister, Jennifer Felberg. The lens is, and always will be, curiosity. Each week, fun and formal conversations center around one delectable curiosity bite, designed to give your brain the time and ideas to think about thinking, to flex your curiosity muscle, and maybe even revolutionize the way you think. Do you remember the first reality show that you ever watched? Probably Survivor. I remember thinking that it was reality, that they held a camera and it was a departure because we knew that we would be watching what we knew when we were watching movies and television that it wasn't reality. And yet, if you kept questioning that and you keep reminding yourself of that, it's hard to enjoy it. Oh, that's fake. Oh, we know that's fake. It was maybe six years ago. Do you remember when I was working on that reality show for the head shop? Absolutely. Pipe Dreams and the other one. And through that, I met a bunch of people in the reality TV world, Discovery Channel Annie, and became friends with them. Some of them are still my good friends. And in doing that, the guy that I was trying to pitch as the head of this reality show wanted to get this tattoo. He had always dreamed of getting a JFK cyborg tattoo on his peck. <laughs> Random. Yeah. Then we found out that this group of people that had, we had been working with, they were working on a reality show in Springfield, Oregon at a tattoo parlor. Ugh. And it was gross. <laughs> Meth capital of the state. Anyway, <laughs> he got to be one of the reality show contestants, essentially one of the guys that went in to get a tattoo. And what they had really done was they had taken over this large tattoo parlor in Springfield because it was very conducive to having like a whole, all the back office, the whole back area was all post-production and production and a whole team of people. They got rid of, I think, all but one of the tattoo artists that actually work there for the show. And then they flew in tattoo artists. So the story was that these tattoo artists all worked at this tattoo parlor. I don't even think it was necessarily in Springfield. They changed the name. They changed everything. And the reason I knew that was because when Shaggy was able to go and get his cyborg Kennedy tattoo, JFK cat tattoo. Zoinks! <laughs> and if I can find a picture, I will put the picture in the show notes. It was the most photorealistic, amazing tattoo. And I had never seen photorealistic tattoos. Now you see them. But yeah. It was amazing at the time. It'd still be pretty amazing. Anyway, long story, I was invited to go with him in some capacity. And I was going to be on this tattoo show. I was not going to get a tattoo. My role was kind of ill-defined, but when I got there, they would tell me, you need to look more angry. You are the friend or the aunt who doesn't want him to get a tattoo. And I said, well, then it doesn't really make sense. But they'd say, okay, come back in the door. And this time you're really angry about this, or you're really frustrated about this, or you're really looking. All right, try that one more time. But this time, and it was only when I was on that reality show and you saw it, I didn't, did you see it? I any? only saw it in a foreign language. Oh yeah, they, that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I spoke a foreign language. I'm so proud of you. I know, I didn't even have to study. Mm-hmm. And when it came on Discovery or Annie, I remember showing Dane 
And before that, I told him about it. And he said, Mom, you should totally share that you were on a reality show. That's so cool. And then he saw it. And there's just silence. He goes, Mom, don't show anyone. You look like such a bitch. They make you look... <laughs> but the point is, that was my role. It had nothing was your character. to do with reality. And mm -hmm. what reality became a better word for unscripted, which obviously had ramifications, union ramifications, how much you pay people. And these reality stars basically got paid nothing. And then if it takes off, then they have other kinds of accolades. Mm -hmm. Didn't this whole reality craze start when the writers went on strike? I think that's when it yeah. really went. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. When the television writers went on strike, yeah. they came up with this unscripted programming that didn't require Writers. Writers. Mm -hmm. But all of that got me thinking. And now we kind of know that reality shows aren't reality, but we have to allow ourselves moments or even long periods of time where we don't question it. Especially when I'm watching Naked and Afraid. I don't watch it that much anymore, but I was obsessed with it for a while. That leads me to the curiosity bite. Ready to chomp? Mm -hmm. Do you witness reality as it really is? Now, do you need a little sip of something? Hold on a second. <laughs> I'm going to need some fortification. We are recording this episode. Most of our episodes are recorded in the morning. This one is recorded on a Friday after four o'clock. That means partakage is being tooked. So maybe the conversation will be a little different right for this one. Tell us if you think we should do more while imbibing <laughs> brown drinks of the alcoholic persuasion or brown drinks of the caffeinated persuasion. Yeah, do I perceive reality as it really is? As witness. it really is. And I is. specifically said witness because a lot of people say, do you see reality? And I thought that's limiting because you might smell, you might mm -hmm. sense, you might. So do you witness reality? I think sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. Give me an example. This morning, I was thinking about this very thing that I witnessed, <laughs> and I witnessed every morning when I get up to get dressed. I went into my closet, and I hate having to figure out what to wear. I'm at my heaviest right now, so I d it's just not fun to dress. When I got into my closet, I thought, ooh, maybe I uh, be, my pants will be a little looser this morning. Why? I don't know, but I get that feeling every single morning. Like, so there is a reality where you think... That I must have lost weight in now, the middle of the night. Well, have you been dieting? No. Did you skip a meal? No. Did you skip a glass of wine? No. Did you exercise? No. <laughs> As a matter of fact, yesterday we had a little Christmas party and I ate more than I usually do. So there's absolutely no reason why I would assume that my clothes, but I feel that way every single day before I put on my pants. Hey, maybe. And I'm like, why do I think that way? That is not being in touch with reality. With reality. <laughs> absolutely not. Do you witness reality closer to what it actually is? is than the average person thinks that they do? Working with you, I try to be more aware of reality. Like, if I see someone angry, I try not to think they're angry at me. Maybe they had a bad day. I'm you try to be curious about the different potential realities than really just the first emotional reality that pops into your mind. And so I think that, reality. yeah, I feel that I have... I may be a little more in touch, but also working with you, I also know <laughs> that most people feel that they are more in touch than others. So I'm going to say I'm not because you want more win. in touch. You, I want to be right. You don't want the blind spot bias to right. affect your answer. Right. Do humans witness reality better than other animals? I don't know. I don't know what animals. 
Well, think about a bloodhound that senses odor molecules that we couldn't sense or dogs that can hear different wave sound waves that we can't hear. So we would say they don't exist or animals that see infrared or bats that can do echolocation. Mm-hmm. Does I, that make them m- m- more... It's closer to the reality of sense and of light. And to the extent that light, there's a atom, you know, atomic quality to light or subatomic quality to light mm-hmm. and to sound, sound and to smell, to the extent that that can be perceived. We need an instrument to perceive it. And those animals can perceive it with their own instrument within themselves right i mean endogenous some people say that you have to have those senses to even create reality that that is what is reality at what point is a technologically enhanced human not a human anymore that's hard different people and different organisms perceive reality in vastly different ways right yes bats yes yes with that in mind what is real and what is just our perception of reality Or does every organism live in its own personal reality? These are all such hard questions. It's very difficult. Take another sip. Because, (laughs) okay, (laughs) twist Twist my arm. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so now I have to ask ask the question again. (laughs) It's so complicated. It's funny when I was trying to get ready for this podcast, my brain hurt. I just had a really hard time wrapping my brain around what we perceive as reality and what is reality. Does every organism live in its own personal reality? I think so. We try to protect ourselves. And if we're going along our day to day, we want to assume that we're in reality. Well, neuroscientists suggest and have suggested for a long time that we reconstruct reality. We don't construct it. We reconstruct it. And they suggest that our ancestors who saw reality more accurately live to pass on our genes. So those ancestors who saw more accurately passed on those genes so that by evolutionary standards, we see reality more accurately than those who died off. What does it mean to see more accurately, though? Well, for example, if I see you and I see that you are angry at me, with me, and I say it is the reality that you're angry, and you say, actually, I am so not angry. But I, if I had to see your neurochemistry, if I could see inside you and saw your neurochemistry and saw <gasps> all of the things, your epidermis is showing. Oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. Then I might see a distracting amount of reality. That is where Donald Hoffman, uh, the cognitive scientist, and I don't want to say the M word, mathematician. <laughs> Every time I say mathematician, what do you do? I fall asleep. Right. He suggests that we are not witnessing reality as it is, and that is what gives us an evolutionary advantage, that evolution has given us an interface to see reality, the reality that works for us, and that guides adaptive behavior, and it makes us more likely to survive than if we saw reality for what it is. And he even goes as far as to say that the farthest away from reality, the more adaptive it is. And if you think about it, and he's proven it mathematically, don't snore, don't <laughs> snore. <laughs> he's proven it mathematically or moved toward a mathematical proof. What does it look like? Oh, if I showed you, guess what that sound I would hear? That's right. <laughs> did you look at it? I did, and I didn't understand it. <laughs> because I really haven't studied, I honestly didn't st- study math beyond basic trigonometry, pre-cal. I mean, I didn't, whatever. 
<laughs> okay, no more. I can see how if everything is coming at you, all this reality is just shooting at you, how do you focus on getting through right. the day? Right. People do make the argument, well, you have to see the reality of a tiger coming at you. And if you didn't see that reality, it would be not adaptive because that tiger would eat you. But he suggests that these perceptive sim uh, symbols are designed to keep us safe, like the perceptive symbol of a tiger. But that means that we need to take that tiger seriously as a threat, but we don't need to take it literally. In other words, that tiger may already be full, may have a broken paw and can't chase after you, may have some disease that makes it weak. Mm -hmm. But we still need to take it seriously because that symbol is adaptive. It's not necessarily reality. I get it. And that's that helps how, us survive. That helps us survive. So what I don't understand is what you were saying about the farther away we get. What do you mean by that? Well, one could make the argument that the more we know about the nature of reality, the more distant we realize our perception of reality is from reality. Got it. And we are using, people say, well, okay, then wouldn't you just throw away the scientific theory? No, we could use, because if we use the scientific theory to disprove space-time, for example, or the theory of relativity, then it doesn't mean that the scientific theory is wrong. It just means that we're using it to disprove and get closer and closer to reality. Why do we feel the need to get closer and closer to reality. I don't think everyone does. I, I don't think everyone does. However, I would say that the opposite of fear is not bravery. The opposite of fear isn't courage. The opposite of fear is curiosity. Yeah. And some people are just not curious. And that doesn't, that's okay. Or maybe they are, but they're scared to delve into it for fear of what they might find. The opposite of fear is curiosity. <laughs> that oh, is the point. Oh, I see. <laughs> and when you, we realize that behavior of matter and energy is really on an atomic and subatomic level. Quantum physics is the future. And quantum physics probably will be used to disprove a lot of things that we think are completely sacred, i.e. space-time, i.e. the theory of relativity, theory of gravity, all of that. Most people is exhausting and we would rather watch a reality television show knowing that it's not reality and just kind of getting away from it than thinking about it. But there's always been people who are responsible for pushing us closer to reality through scientific theory. Mm -hmm. Then there is the religious component where people think about consciousness. Yeah. Now, where does that lie into reality? Okay. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, oh, my God, just stay with us here, because the more we drink, <laughs> the more fun it might be. But still, these maybe. are filled. Maybe, maybe not. The hard problem of consciousness is the problem of explaining why and how sentient organisms like ourselves have qualia or phenomena, phenomenological experiences or this feeling of being like you. So your consciousness is what it feels like to be Jennifer. Mm -hmm. And the presence of that feeling is real. I mean, it feels like something to be you. Even though there's no evidence of a self, there is an evidence of a consciousness, which is it feels like something to be you. And how and why is it that some internal states are felt states, like heat or pain, rather than unfelt states, as in a thermostat or a toaster? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
that's kind of the hard problem of consciousness. Now, there's no way to measure it. There's no way to now. But but there are people working on this mathematically. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't going to do that. (laughs) Have you heard of panpsychism? I have. The belief that everything material, so every rock, every couch, Mm -hmm. has an element of individual consciousness. Yeah. That's kind of an interesting theory. I think the whole term panpsychism is kind of a little, it sounds a little bit like astrology. Yeah. But if you think of like. What? Astronomy. Astrology. Which one is it? (laughs) Astronomy is. The real one. (laughs) Astrology is like your sign. Oh, hey, yeah. babe, what's your yeah. sign? Panpsychism is like astrology. <laughs> God, have another sip. Yeah, Bio. If everything is made of some type of particle, including a chair or a guitar, then it has some type of consciousness. It comes That's from- That's panpsychism. Yeah. Right. And that if consciousness is a fundamental feature of matter. Right. That's That's kind of it. So anything that is matter- has a consciousness. And then that you start to think about if everything has a consciousness, what do we owe conscious creatures? What do we owe conscious? What do we owe consciousness? Do we owe an AI that looks like a human? Do we owe them? Do we have a duty? Do we owe them anything (laughs) different than we owe fleshy humans? Some people believe that there are different levels of consciousness within those things. So we might be have a higher level of consciousness to a chair. In that case, then we wouldn't owe as much to AI as we do to our fellow homo sapiens. If I stole a loaf of bread from you and I ate it, when does the bread cease to be yours and become mine? <laughs> until you digest it out then it's yours i don't want anything to do with it okay but at what point <laughs> in between at what moment is it yours well it's in my mouth and i'm chewing it not that you would want it back yeah i certainly wouldn't want it back um but it would still be mine is what you're saying well i think possession is what nine tenths of the law <laughs> so as soon as you have it then i guess it's not mine but I'd probably be angry that you took it from me. Okay, but I don't know when it stops being mine. Probably the minute you swallow it. The minute <laughs> I, I can't swallow get it, it back. Would the world be a better or worse place if everyone looked the same? Well, it depends on what they would look like. No, because everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sure, if we if all they looked like, like Jason. <laughs> Jason. <laughs> Jason Dorello coming, coming out of the pool. <laughs> The world would be a better place. <laughs> Although, no, because there'd be no relativity. Yeah, who cares? If everyone looked the same, we would not have any... Because attractiveness is relative, right? Yeah, but there would be something else. I think human nature, we always like to put people in different categories. What would we use if everyone looked the same? Their breath. All right. So if it smelled like whiskey... They're, they're in. The, they're in. <laughs> they're part of the club. If it smelled like... What? Garlic. <laughs> there, then it's still part of the club. <laughs> what would it have to smell? Morning breath? Not the club. No, go brush your teeth. There would be other senses or other things that would make us categorize certain people. It wouldn't just be looks then. Perhaps our brains. <laughs> what a concept. What would we do if we were all true clones of each other? What would we do? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what we would do? We'd all go swimming! <laughs> Wee! <laughs> If a robust and cheap genetic engineering industry existed, would you have your genes edited? 
And if so, what genetic changes would you choose to make? <laughs> kind of, I'd want to do that. You There'd would. be a few things that what I would mind do? changing. Like my mental disorder. I think that's probably gene somewhat genetic. You think it's bacterial, though. But they're not mutually exclusive. That's bacteria. true. We know that bacteria affects genes, so I don't really understand why we talk about nature versus nurture. That, I think, will be an antiquated concept. I think within our lifetime, and this won't be popularly understood, but within our lifetime, quantum physicists will have mathematically or systematically disproven space-time and some of the fundamental theories that we believe in. I also think that we will stop talking about the nature-nurture divide and we will stop talking about mental physical illnesses as these di dichotomies. But that, Some of being, that sounds pretty good. That being said, what genetic changes would you make? You could choose one. I already said that you would change it from what to what? Where I would have a healthy brain. What does that mean? I have depression, right? Which inhibits some of my life enjoyment. It inhibits my relationships with certain with people. Is there a good good side to it? Sure. What is it? I get to stay home a lot and enjoy <laughs> just being at home and relaxing. I don't know if there's a good side to it. I guess I have more sympathy for other people that might have ailments that are of the mental persuasion. Persuasion. <laughs> would How about you, you? Would you change it and get rid of it if it meant that you would forget that you ever had it and all the lessons learned from it? Yes. You would? Yes. Okay, that's fair. I don't want it. What about you? What would you change? Or I, would you? I probably wouldn't because I would be afraid of unintended consequences. You know me. It's not like I think I'm genetically perfect. She by does. <laughs> no, I no. I mean, I I just would be afraid of unintended consequences. I read about the CRISPR technology yeah. and how they were working to eradicate sickle cell. So sickle cell is in people of an African uh, heritage. Heritage. However, the geneticists have found that it is potentially correlated. Sickle cell anemia is potentially correlated with a higher immunity to malaria. So some of the diseases that are indigenous to the African continent also may be, these might be adaptive diseases, or there could be diseases that the gene that is the same for the disease also Caused causes this mm -hmm. or also makes you more, or also it makes you immune to this. So I'm always worried about unintended consequences. But if it was for, if it was some way that it could enlighten a whole bunch of people, I might donate my body to be genetically modif modified. I might. <laughs> as long as it didn't modify my brain so that I couldn't understand what happened. Like that yeah. I wouldn't want. But there's not like something specific like, oh, I wish I had thicker hair or oh, I wish I had stronger bones or oh, I wish I had, you know, more taut skin. I mean, uh, okay. that stuff, I'm, I mean, I, I could just get plastic surgery for a lot of that, so I don't care. But something like a mental illness, I can take medication for it, but I don't feel like I can cure. So if I could get some kind of alteration, I would appreciate it. All right, let me see what I can do. I okay. Totally Thank you. Absolutely. Thank y'all. I have a list of the different theories on reality. I want to hear your list. Okay. <laughs> and this was hard because some of this stuff is beyond my brain power. I watched a lot of videos. and So any videos that you watch that you suggest we should put in the show notes? Yeah, yeah. There was one that was uh, the 11-minute explanation 
of string theory. The first one is string theory, theory, which was really hard to understand. But basically, it's when one considers that all matter is just energy vibrating at different frequencies. I'm down with that. Yeah, that's about that's as simple probably, as... That's probably the level of string theory that I can understand. And probably listeners who understand string theory would say, okay, that's like saying quantum physics is like, it has to do with numbers. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, but I get that. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty much... The 11-minute explanation of string theory, and I think that is what it's called, it was great. And I understood to a point when they were talking about the different dimensions, there's two dimension, three dimension, four dimension, five, like all the way up to 10 dimensions. Does string theory throw out space-time? They talk about it, but it goes beyond that. So so is it's, the assumption a, that space-time is a faulty assumption? No, it it's isn't? all just part of, I think that the when you get deep, deep, deep into it, energy is, and everything is all tied into this one thing of these vibration little... So is spermies. it so <laughs> so I think one of the hardest things about all of these theories and I'll let you get back to the other theories mm-hmm. is that we are so I don't know if it's wired but used to causal relationships and seeing causal relationships and it's very difficult to go from a relationship model to a causal relationship model meaning space time is causal you see a continuum this happened before or after yeah. but it is mind blowing to to throw out space time and just think it's not at all that way. It's, right. It, One it, of the theories actually talks about, I can skip ahead a little bit, but they talk about there is no beginning and end. It all just is contained in a box. And it's the block universe theory. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so everything where travel is possible, but time passing is an illusion. Mm. It's just this giant block of all things that ever happened at any time and at any place meaning the past, the present, and the future all exist and all are real, but it's all happening at the same time. Or maybe that there's no concept of time, Yeah, which requires me to have another sip. Go on to the next thing on the list while I grab my whiskey. <laughs> okay. Or scotch. Actually, it's scotch. I'm drinking Oh, you're scotch. having scotch. You're having single malt Irish whiskey. I'm having single malt scotch. You know, because we don't want to be the same. Let's do it together. Cheers. Cheers. The next one is the idea of a multiverse different names for it, omniverse, metaverse, meta-universe. It's a hypothetical group of multi, multiple universes. Together, these universes comprise everything that exists, the entirety of space, time, matter, energy, information, and the physical laws and constraints that describes them. So everything is, again, everything's happening at the same time everywhere. I was watching one of the political debates and I was thinking back to a conversation that I had with Fred prior to Donald Trump's election. And there was a point, as you know, that I thought and was pretty vocal about it. I'm glad I was vocal because otherwise I, people would not no believe, one would believe you that that the likelihood of Donald Trump winning was high. I remember talking to Fred and he said it would be really interesting to live in a multiverse because I would be super curious to see what a universe would look like with Donald Trump as president, but I wouldn't want to experience it. Now, yeah. he thought under no, there was no chance in hell that Donald Trump was elect, would be elected. I was watching the debates the other night and I started just zoning out thinking about if we were in 
version, alternate universe uh-huh. right now. And Fred, damn it, Fred, it was your <laughs> fault for putting me in here. But anyway, it's yeah. it's a little mind blowing. I find this stuff fun to think about. Me too. Uh, well, string theory is difficult to think about because it's just too hard for me. But some of these crazy theories are kind of fun <laughs> what's, what's, to, to imagine. What's another one? Simulation theory is the idea that was popularized by Nick Bostrom. Oh, yeah. I know, I know from Nick Bostrom. Nicky, he believes that we are nothing more than a very advanced computer-generated reality and that we are all programs living within that within that computer. We're living in a matrix, like the matrix. Is reality a vast machine that causes our conscious experiences? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything is a computer simulation. Hey, could be. Absolutely. Could be. How about holography? I bet you that's that we're all holographs. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes. I remember reading a study, a study, a story about a company. It was a Silicon Valley company, an AI company, and they were working on being able to ask or having machine learning work on all the data inputs from an individual. So they took all the emails, all the voicemails, all the text messages, every kind of communication. They recorded him, this guy, this friend of theirs. He was a friend of theirs. And I don't know if he had been sick at the time, and that's why they were doing it. I can't remember the story. If I can find the story, I'll put a link in the show notes. And they worked on an AI to generate responses. So you could ask this AI a question, and it would answer in a way that people who knew this guy the best, family, friends, would say that is exactly how this guy would answer. Freaky. And then the guy died and they created a hologram of the guy that attached to this AI. And essentially people felt like he was still alive. There was this holographic image. You could ask him any question. Would you ever have a holograph done of you? And if not, would you have a holograph with AI, something like that for anyone that you know or love if they died? That freaks me out a little bit. When you die, you die. <laughs> I don't want to... I don't want a holograph of myself, and I don't think I want a holograph of anybody else. If you could create a holograph of someone right now to be able to ask an answer, have them ask an answer Ooh. with the brain that they have, who would you? Oh, I, who would you ask? Christopher Hitchens. Who dat? <laughs> <laughs> a very smart man who died about 10 years ago. Author, philosopher, political analyst brilliant, all-around brilliant guy, big atheist. And I have read a lot about him, read his autobiography. They called him Hitch. I would- I love that. No, actually, I don't love that movie. (laughs) With Will Smith? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, no. That's who I might bring back. Oh, okay. Because he's close enough to now that you're not talking about bringing back like Galileo or something like that and having him having to catch his AI up to speed. I right. Mean, this I guy would kind of know what's Hitch going on. Christopher Hitch died, I don't know, 10 years ago, 11 years ago. He would know what's going on. And I would be curious. He had such great insights. And I would be curious to bring him back. I never, I mean, I would have loved to have known him. So that's who I would probably bring back. Good answer. Me too. Okay. You too. Me too. Last one. The Eric. Von Daniken. I watched his video, his YouTube. He's still alive. He believes that aliens were here or still here, and they're the ones that started our existence by evidence of archaeological discoveries. (laughs) Well, he sees the pyramids and and how were they really built and the Temple of the Sun and how they fit 
beautifully, perfectly on top of each other. And how could you move these tons and tons of bricks and make them all fit together? And then the etchings on the walls. The hieroglyphics. Where where it looks like they're typing on keyboards. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sold. iPads. (laughs) We're all aliens. That's it. That's your list? Yeah. Ready for the sort of fact? Yeah. This is another PU study, prestigious university study of over 87,000 quantum physicists on the nature of reality prove that reality is 98% more fascinating than we've ever imagined. Thanks for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Before you take off, I have a few more things to let you know about. One, you can find show notes for every episode of ACLR and links to all resources mentioned at applycuriositylab.com forward slash blog. It's there that we'll wait to read your answers to each week's Curiosity Bite. Two, in order to avoid missing curiosity-bitten conversations, subscribe to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and all the other spots that podcasts hang out and wait to be discovered. Toss up a review, especially if you have nice things to say. Finally, for all things Applied Curiosity, including information on workshops and your free membership to the Tribe of the Curious, go to ApplyCuriosityLab.com. In the meantime, elevate curiosity.